church has gotten so far away from the purpose that God designed for it. I know it, I know it, it, is, it is part of the, the age that we're living in. We're living in the Laodicean church age where people are lukewarm. You know, they're, 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 they're apathetic, filled with apathy, not, not, not too much zeal, not too much concern, not too much excitement, unless it's something entertaining, unless it's something that's flashy. Uh, churches are having, to, are having to do more and more and more uh, stuff to try to keep people's attention because everybody's so pulled apart by the things of this world. And, 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 and we've got a problem. We've got a problem in the American church. We've got an attitude problem. An attitude problem. Uh, how many of y'all have seen, how many of y'all have seen, uh, y'all like football, we all like football. Uh, well, some of us like football at the moment, amen. I'm not real fond of it myself, but it is what it is, amen. Uh, you've seen teams that go out on the field and they look like they don't even want to be there. That's apathy. No zeal, no excitement. Uh, we're just here. But then you see a team that's just, you're, you're having to hold them back like a bull in a corral. And, 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 and man, they come running out and they're, and they're just jumping up and down. And, and, and they're just raring to go. And they're hungry. They're hungry. They want it. They, 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 are, they are proud to be there. They are excited and they want to be there. They want to win the game. They want to give it their all. They want to do their best. And man, here we go. Every coach in America dreams of that kind of mentality. And every coach in America has to do everything they can every week to keep it that way. Because sometimes when you win... And I'm going to pastor a little bit this morning. And I hope you understand if you're a visitor, you came on the wrong Sunday. <laughs> I, I saw an interview last week. And, and, and Nick Saban looked at, the, looked at the newspaper people and said, I'm trying to get my players to listen to me more than you. And I don't even like the guy. <laughs> but you know what he was saying? When you keep telling them how good they are, sooner or later, they're going to believe it. <laughs> and when they begin to believe how good they are, they're not going to try as hard because they don't think they have to. All we have to do is show up because we are all that in a bag of chips. Amen. He says, I don't want them to get apathetic. I don't want them to get lazy. I don't want them to have the mentality that they don't have to give it their all every single time and give 100% every single time. And so every week it's a struggle, and it's a worse struggle for the teams that are successful because when you get successful, it, you have a tendency to lay back and you have a tendency to give in a little bit because you don't think you have to. Well, let me tell you something. Temple, God has allowed Temple to enjoy and to be blessed with a certain uh, amount of success. And, and we've seen God do some incredible things. And, and we've seen God build buildings. And we've seen God bring in crowds. And I'm afraid that we're kind of sitting back and being apathetic now. Because we, we're, we're here. We've arrived. 
We've got what we've been praying for. We've got what we've been working for so we don't have to work as hard. We don't have to pray as hard. We don't have to fast and pray. So I, I think you're just, you're, 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 you're uh, no, it's not that bad. Then how come when I asked us all to come pray at the invitation, nobody moved? I'll be honest, that bothered me. And I had to say, no, really, guys, come on. People are going to hell. We're doing this not so we can have a religious activity, not so we can have something to do. We're doing this because there's children going to hell and there's families going to hell because they've never heard about Jesus. What is motivating us right now? And I, I'm putting myself in the category. I've had to look in the mirror this week. I remember times that I would beg God and plead God because we had to pay the bills. We didn't even bring enough in the offering to pay the bills. And boy, you'll see God. You'll see God when ain't no money. Say amen. Where is that zeal? Where is that concern? Where is that? Here's the word. Here's the word I want us all to get. Where is that burden? I want you to, I want you to look at a verse. <clears throat> the apostle Paul says in Romans 9, Romans 9, 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. In other words, what he's fixing to say is so impactful, it's so powerful, it's so heavy that you may not believe it when he says it, but he says, I'm telling you, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and a continual sorrow in my heart. He says, I've got a burden. I've got a burden that I'm carrying. He says, for I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. What is he saying? If it would be possible, if it could be possible that it would save all of my brethren, I would, I would, I would let myself go to hell so they can be saved. I could wish myself accursed for my brethren's sake. We know that's not possible, but do you see his burden? Do you see his care? Do you see his love? Do you see his concern for his brethren, the nation of Israel, who is lost? They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. In the very next chapter, in chapter 10, verse 1, he said, My heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. He says, I'm praying for them. My heart's in it. Oh, God, would you save them? He's got a burden. He cares. He's moved by the souls of men. He's moved by, listen, people that are lost. And I, I got to ask the question, what are we moved by? Is it sports? Is it activities? Is it hobbies? Is it our kids? Is it our work? What is it going to take to move us? What are we carrying? What burden are we carrying? What brings tears to our eyes? When's the last time we prayed over the lost or wept over the lost? Where's our burden? Where's our care? In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul begins to talk about motivation. He begins to talk about what moves him. What, what burdens him? What touches his heart? He says in verse number 8, I, I, I backed up one verse. I backed up one verse. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor. Let me, let me go back. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What's that mean? 
the body is, is, the, is the vehicle that carries the soul and the spirit. One day your body, your vehicle is going to quit working. One day, I, I did a funeral yesterday at 11. A funeral yesterday at 11. Went to see the gentleman at, at, at 5, I think it was, 5 yesterday evening. And he, he's not far. In just a little while, he's going to go into eternity. One day, all of our bodies are going to quit working. One day, all of our hearts are going to stop beating. One day, all of, listen, the brain waves in our brain, they're, they're going to cease to exist. And when that stops and when that happens, your soul and your spirit, if you are saved, your soul and your spirit is going to be in the presence of Jesus. If you are lost, your soul will go to hell. There's only two destinations. But for the child of God is what Paul is saying here. It, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment your body stops working, your soul and your spirit, your, your awareness, your, your consciousness, you're going to be in the presence of Jesus. Amen. And that's wonderful. But is it? Is it? Are we going to be excited to see him? Or ashamed? How many of y'all ever had a bad report card? <laughs> Man, they some lying. There ain't that many smart people in here. Come on, how many of y'all ever had? Let's, uh, maybe not a bad report card, maybe a, a mark you, you didn't want them to see. Come on, come on. What, what is the point? You were not too thrilled about seeing Papa's car drive in the driveway. Are y'all with me? Now, you may not have one like mine. Mine beat the fire out of you for getting a bad grade. Are y'all with me? I was praying for the rapture. I was praying for amnesia. I was praying for everything. But are we going to be happy to see him? Here's what Paul said. One day we're going to see him. One day we're going to be in his presence. It says this. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, verse 9, wherefore, in other words, because of that, because of that, because I know one day I'm going to see him. One day I know I'm going to be face to face. One day I'm going to be in his presence because of that. He says, wherefore we, what's that word? Labor. labor. Say it with me. Wherefore we? Labor. labor. We're working, we're serving, we're laboring. That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Here's what I want you to write down. What, what motivates Paul? What motivates Paul to do what he did? What, what gives him the burden that he has? What would cause him to say, I would, I, would, I would rather myself be cursed to hell so that I could see my brethren saved? What, what was it that gave him that great of a burden and gave him the motivation that he had to go into all of those cities and all of those countries and be willing to be stoned and willing to be, go through shipwreck and, and threatening his life and all these things? What motivated him? A desire to please the Lord. This verse, when he says to be acceptable, the word acceptable means well-pleasing. In other words, he's not saying, I'm laboring so I can get saved. I'm laboring so he can see how much I did and let me in. That's not what he's saying. The word means well-pleasing. In other words, when I see Jesus, I want him to smile. 
When Jesus sees my life, when Jesus sees what I do, when Jesus sees what I did, I want to make him smile. I want him to be pleased with my labor. I want him to be pleased with my effort. I want him to be pleased with my sacrifice. And I'm afraid that the New Testament church, the American church in the day we're living in, they're too busy trying to please men than they are Jesus. They're trying to tickle ears and they're telling people what they want to say and they're putting in entertainment instead of the edification of the saints and the proclamation of the gospel, trying to please men. And Paul said, I don't care about being a men pleaser. I don't care if the whole world is frowning. I don't care if they don't like my message. If I can do what I do and the Lord smiles on my life, that is all that matters. Who are you seeking to please this morning? I'm afraid, I'm afraid with most Christians, it's the person in the mirror. It's the person in the mirror. Paul says, I desire to please the Lord. Ephesians, <clears throat> Ephesians 6, 5 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill doing service. He says, don't serve as you're serving your boss, but as to the Lord and not to men. Do you have a desire? I'm asking you, do you have a desire to please the Lord? That motivated Paul. What else? Quickly, quickly. Look what he says in the very next verse, verse 10. He says, I do what I do. We labor the way we labor. We sacrifice the way we sacrifice. Because I want to please the Lord. I want Him to be pleased with my life. Not only that, verse 10. For we must, what's that word? Help me. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You say, what else motivated Paul? The day of accounting. The day of accounting. Romans 14.10 says it this way. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. Watch this. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. What does that mean? <clears throat> it means the beam of judgment. This word, the judgment seat of Christ, it's, it's the word bema, B-E-M-A. And, and it means platform. In that day, there, there, there was uh, athletics was very popular, the Greek games and all of this thing. And so this was something that they would understand. When they would have races, when they would have their, their competitions, uh, when it came time to award the winner, they would have a bema platform. How many of y'all have seen the Olympics? Seen the Olympics? How many of y'all have seen those, those boxes, those platforms that they stand on when they give them the, the medals? Are y'all with me? That's what that means. That's what that means. That's the platform. That's the judgment. So, so we will stand. One day, we're going to be on a platform. One day, we're going, to, we're going to be on a platform. We're going to be on a place of accounting. Now, now let, me, let me clarify something because I don't want you to be confused about this. There's two different judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. 
The judgment seat of Christ is for all the saved. Say that with me. It's for all the saved. The great white throne judgment that we read in Revelation is for all the lost. Okay? What's the difference? The saved will be judged according to their works. Their works. The lost will be judged according to their sins. You say, why are the saved not judged according to their sin? Because Jesus was already judged for our sins on Calvary. We ought to shout, Amen. Thank God I won't have to stand for my sins. I won't have to pay for my sins because he already did. But before you get too excited, you will give an account for how you lived your life. What do you mean how I lived my life? The opportunities you had. It says this. What does the verse say? We're going to stand and give account for our life according to the good or the bad. Now, that's not, that's not good deeds and sins. What makes it bad? What makes it bad? The word there is worthless. Not having eternal value. What does that mean? Do you realize that all the stuff we do, all the things we do for God will go through the fire? How many of y'all know that all the stuff we've done in life is not always for His glory? How many of y'all know sometimes we've done stuff for our glory? To make us look good. Well, guess what? All those things are going to go through the fire. And everything that was not for the glory of God, for the blessing and the praise of God, will burn up. And we'll receive no reward. Here's the thing. It's a preacher, as long as I'm going to heaven, that's all that matters. Not so. One day, we're going to have to give an answer for how we wasted our life. One day, we're going to stand on that judgment. We're going to stand on that platform before, before a Savior who died and was beaten and brutalized so we could make it to heaven. And we're going to have to give an account for how we wasted the opportunities He gave us to serve Him. After we had a chance, after we had a chance to sacrifice and make something happen, but in our apathy, we didn't think it was that big a deal. We didn't think we needed to. We're going to have to give account and stand before Jesus and give account for our life. Now, I don't know about you, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is what makes it so significant. You say, well, if I don't get that reward, as long as I go to heaven, that's all that matters. All right, what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen when we get our rewards. When we get those rewards that pass the fire test, when we get those rewards that go through the fire and, and, and we are here and, and, and Jesus recognizes us and we have those crowns and we have those rewards, do you know what we're going to do with them? We're going to turn around and kneel down before his feet and offer them back to him in thanksgiving for what he's done for us. And some of us will be empty-handed. It's like... Being at the birthday party and the only one that didn't bring a present. Preacher, what's the point? 
Paul is motivated by the fact that he knew one day he would stand before Christ and give account for his life. Does that motivate you today? Does that motivate you today? Does that, does that, does that stir something on the inside of you to know one day I'm going to have to answer? Not only that, but number three. Look in verse number 11. A desire to please the Lord in verse number 9 motivated him. A, a understanding that one day we would all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That motivated Paul. But in verse number 11 it says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Say that with me. Knowing therefore the the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. Preacher, what else motivated Paul? The destination of the unsaved. Knowing the terror of the Lord. We have a world that only wants to talk about His love. We have a world that only wants to talk about His grace and His mercy. But you've got to understand, He's not... Listen, the, 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 the four beasts around the throne right now are not crying, grace, grace, grace. They're not crying, mercy, mercy, mercy. They're crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And God wants us to know that He is a holy God. And sin must be dealt with. And I, I don't know if, here's what we do. Here's what we do. If we, we think about something uncomfortable, we just ignore it. If we think about something that's fearful or, or something that, that bothers us, we'll, we'll just ignore it like it's not there. And, and if we ignore it like it's not there, maybe it's not a reality. But ladies and gentlemen, hell is a reality. Hell is a reality. In Jesus' own words, this is what Jesus said in Mark chapter number 9, verse 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That's Jesus' words. That's the Savior's words. That is words that came from the same person that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but the world is already condemned. This world is going to hell. Lost people go to hell. People unsaved go to hell. If they don't know Jesus, hell is their destination. And Paul said, that motivates me to want to tell them. That motivates me to want to preach. And with all that is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. You know why? For I'm persuaded, I'm persuaded that the power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What moves you? What burdens you right now? What brings tears to your eyes? What is it that will touch your heart? What do I got to say? What do I got to do? Paul says all I got to do is see people in hell. All I got to do is remember where they're going. All I got to do is remember the destination of the lost, and it motivates me. 
motivates me. Listen, it's probably why you don't hear much preaching on hell because it's uncomfortable. But I'm here to tell you, I think we need to hear some more of it to wake us up. I, it's it, it, and and and, and uh, listen. I I just come out of a, a series of teaching on Revelation in PBI class. Man, it's so revealing. It's so this is really happening. This is going to happen. Jesus is coming soon. Soon it is coming. The great white throne judgment is going to happen. Man, we got to tell them. Let me give you the last one. I'm over time. Let me let me give you the last one. Verse fourteen and fifteen. Look what he says. <clears throat> A desire to please the Lord is what motivates Paul. A day of accounting, he says, one day we're going to stand before him. Oh, when I think about the destination of the unsaved, he says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We do everything we can to tell them. But then he says, verse 14 and 15, for the love of Christ constraineth us. What a word. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. In other words, we were all in a bad way. We were all doomed. We were all condemned. And it says in that he died for all that they... Now watch this now. Everybody read this with me. Everybody read this with me. And that he died... Come on, everybody. Come on, help me, help me, help me, help me. And that he died for all. That they which live should not live, or should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You know what Paul is saying? Because he died for me, I shouldn't live for myself. I should live for the one who died for me. Can y'all see this? What is it? What is it? What is it? What, what's number four? Write this down. A desire to please the Lord, a day of accounting, a destination of the unsafe. Write this down. The debt he felt obligated to. The debt he felt obligated to. Look what he says in Romans 1.14. I am debtor. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. I looked up that word debtor. It means an ower. An ower. How many oars do we have in here? Guess what? If we keep it in context, you all should have raised your hand. An ower, one who owes a debt. We used to sing a song. Jalen, you probably remember, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Are y'all with me? We owe a debt. We owe a debt. Listen, how can we not be motivated? How in the world can we sit apathetic with the gospel after someone went to a cross, died on a cross, took the beating that he took, took the plucking of his beard, the spitting in his face, the humility and the anguish and the pain and the suffering? How can we not feel a debt to the one who died for us? Let me say it this way. He did not just die for us. He died instead of us. What did Calvary represent? 
What did Calvary represent? The anger and the wrath of God on sin. If you want to know how God feels about sin, look at Calvary. Calvary represented the anger and wrath of God upon sin. Your sin. My sin. Jesus took it all. How can we live to ourself and not to him who gave his life for all? Whether you believe this or not, you owe a debt. You owe a debt. Listen, he doesn't want you to pay for your sin. But he does want you to live for him. Preacher, I don't think I could go to Tanzania. Can you mow your neighbor's yard? Can, can, you, can you make a little sacrifice and say, I want to help with one of them proclaimers? Can you go on a mission trip? That's in the brochure, but I didn't have enough time to talk about it. I want you all to go. I want you all to go. Because if you ever see it in person, it will change your life. Just last year, I was in Mexico City. It was like a sea of humanity. Millions and millions of people. I wonder how many saved. And here's the thing. I know there's going to be somebody in here in the crowd this size. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't think we ought to go over there. We should help the people here. Really? Really? Is that, what you, is that, is that where you're going to go with this? When there's a church on every corner, and there's church on the radio, and there's church on TV, and so we should be more concerned with people that are, have ready access at any time, any place with the gospel. They can turn it on at any time and yet ignore it, and, and, and the person that's over there that's never had the chance. Come on, don't even go there. One missionary said it this way, why should we have the privilege of hearing it five times when someone's not had the privilege of hearing it once? Listen, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm mad. I'm not mad. I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Because when you see all of this, I don't want you to feel like we've arrived. Trust me, I'm, I'm proud of all of this. I'm thankful for all of this. I never thought we'd ever get all of this. God's done incredible things. But I, I don't want you to focus on this because as long as all them names are out there on that wall, we're not done. Church should always be global. Global. 
not just local. Until the last name is taken off that board, we got to keep giving. We got to keep praying. We got to keep reaching. We got to keep sacrificing. We got to keep going. Why? Because Jesus said so. How many of y'all, how many of y'all, how many of y'all had a parent, an authority figure, grandparent, maybe your grandparents raised you, but uh, they told you to do something? And if you ever was brave enough to ask, why? Most of the time you wasn't. If you had one like mine, you didn't even go there. But in, in just in case you had a momentary lapse of brain cells, and you said, why? This is probably the answer you received. Because I Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? So the preacher can get more money? No. Simply because. You know what? That's enough. That's enough. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray.